Good morning. How's everyone doing? Good. Hey, before we get into the Word, I wanted to acknowledge a, a special guest. Uh, we have Rachel Brown with us. Yes. Rachel uh, grew up in our church and was involved in our church, youth group, um, college, um, enlisted in the military, and has been serving there faithfully for a number of years. So she's home for a couple weeks, and then she heads back to Germany. So, Rachel, we thank you for your service. And, yeah. and it's an, a most appropriate day that she's visiting on this 4th of July. All right, open the word to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I know you're going to be surprised, but today we're going to cover four verses. <laughs> All right, so hold on to your seat. Yes. Verse 15, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Let's pray. Father, thanks for being you. And thank you, God, that even though we have many freedoms in this country, uh, the best freedom we have of all is freedom from sin through your Son, Jesus Christ. So as we celebrate today uh, the blessing that you have given us of this nation with all its bumps and, and warts and even some ugly sides, God, uh, we're privileged to live here. We thank you for the blessings that you've poured out on this nation for generations and generations. God, we ask that you would bring this nation uh, back to what it once was in terms of its faithfulness to you, in terms of its honoring you, in terms of its acknowledging you for who you are, God. We do pray for the sins, God, that are still present in our land, the sin of abortion. We pray that you would rid us of that, the sin of sexual immorality, Father, and pornography, that you would rid this land of that disease. God, we thank you, Lord, that you have been amazing enough, awesome enough, God, that, and merciful and gracious to bring us here today to hear your word. Lord, let us hear it rightly, let us hear it in truth, and let us respond by your spirit to it, and walk in the ways that you want us to walk. Thank you, God, that you are so good to us time and time again. And bless us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So the last few weeks, we've been looking at the duties of members. And a couple weeks ago, we looked at how the duties of members, one of those is in regards to leadership in the church. And we're supposed to do kind of two things that Thessalonians outlines. The first is respect leaders, and then the second is esteem them. We looked at kind of how those work together. Then uh, a couple weeks ago, we looked at duties that we all have towards one another. So uh, we as members have duties towards one another. We looked at admonishing the idle, encouraging the faint-hearted, and helping the weak. And today we're going to continue looking at the duties of members. But we're, what we're going to do is we're going to see three duties 
that are key in regards to worship. All right, three duties that are key in regards to worship. It is rejoice, pray, and give thanks. Now, we'll see why these are important to our worship and how they display our faith as we go through each of these verses. And and here's the thing. Um, I've kind of read this entire passage uh, for the last few weeks just so we can continue to get the context. And we're given all these imperatives, which are just commands. But they're kind of like staccato, like boom, 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 boom. They just kind of like come right at us. Um, Very like short and almost pithy that they're directed towards us. And so it can make it a little challenging to understand sometimes like, hey, what's the context? So sometimes you have to take, um, you have to back up a few verses. Sometimes you have to back up a whole chapter. Sometimes you have to look at it really in the context of the whole book to really understand what we have going on here. And so remember, we've got 1 Thessalonians 1, 2, 3, and 4, which bring us all the way to chapter 5. And he is slowly starting to wrap up his letter to the Thessalonians. So what does he want to do? He wants to end with some clear commands that he has for them to direct them how they ought to live. Now, when we talk about imperatives here, sometimes if, if, um, if I said to, to my kids, um, don't go to the movies. Now, depending on the context and the situation, that might mean what? Don't go to the movies right now. Because maybe, hey, we got family plans or we're getting ready to eat dinner or something like that. It, it could potentially mean don't go to the movies ever, right? So context would kind of help set the stage for that. Um, the Greek actually can sometimes make it a little more clear because they actually have different types of tenses for their commands. The commands given here are all in the present tense, and the idea is, is that these are general rules for living. General rules for living. So when Paul says a command to us in these passages here, he's saying, hey, this is the attitude that we should have really at all times. So it's not that don't go to the movies right now. It's kind of like, It'd be like, don't ever do this. And in this respect, Paul's given us mostly a lot of positive commands, do these things, and the idea is really do these things all the time. Specifically for us towards one another, specifically for you all towards the leaders, and then specifically as we're going to see here today, towards God himself. So these imperatives convey really what we would call a general rule for life. And these are God's rules for doing life together. The previous commands focus on doing life together with one another. But now we see a focus on doing life in regards to our relationship with God. So we do life together and we have rules that are given to us. Hey, how do we interact with one another? And then we have rules that are given to us. Hey, how do we interact one another towards the Lord? And those are the three things that we see. The rejoice, the pray, and the give thanks. We want to remember something. Christ saves us individually. But he doesn't want us to live solitarily. I remember uh, my my next-door neighbor, they were great neighbors. They moved away a few years ago. But they were awesome. Um, but, uh, But the woman... The wife, um, whenever a spiritual conversation would come up, she'd always be like, oh, well, my dad was a pastor. Like, that was kind of like her past, you know? Like, she was good because her dad was a pastor. Listen, um, 
God's blessed us to grow up in, in families and, and blessed us with parents, but our parents make their own decisions regarding their faith, and we have to make our own decisions regarding our faith. And then as we become parents, our children have to make their own decisions regarding their faith. Yes, we want to pass it on to them. Yes, we badly want them to believe like we do. But at the end of the day, Christ saves us individually. Does he use parents? Yes. Does he use one another? Yes. Does he use leaders? Yes. But there's kind of a rugged individualism which plagues America today. It's like worse than a a dangerous bacteria that won't stop multiplying. Um, That is almost unheard of in the early church. There wasn't this rugged individualism. There wasn't this all separate entities doing their own thing. There was a very much a togetherness. I was talking to a gentleman the other day, and I asked him. I was kind of sharing my faith with him, and he was saying that he was a believer, and I was like, well, why don't you go to church? And, And his simple answer was, well, I don't need it. Well, that attitude is just like the hand saying to the foot, I don't need you. I mean, think about that. I mean, what's he really saying in that statement? I don't need other believers. I can do this on my own. Well, why do we need other believers? Because some of you are very individualistic. Many of you, probably. And some of you can, can even act a little curmudgeon-like at times, all right? You'd be happy at home by yourself if no one ever bothered you again. But, but you show up, all right? So the Lord's working. Here's, here's one author made this observation. I want you to hear this. That they made the observation that when we are in crisis and hurting, okay, you ever been in a crisis or been hurting? So when we are in crisis and hurting, and we feel that we are being faithful to God, but that He isn't present to us. You ever been there? I have. So we're being faithful to God, but He hasn't, isn't present to us. Um, this author notes there's two wires that we fail to connect. And they are, where's God? And here are God's people. And those two wires need to come together. Because what's the insight? It's that God often makes his presence known through his people. And this is why we get these commands. One theologian notes, in nurturing those who are weak, in caring for those in distress, by encouraging those who are fearful, and if necessary, disciplining those who require it, we can become ministers of the grace of the gospel. Servants of God through whom he reaches out to those looking for him or in need of his presence. So we are ministers of the grace of the gospel. So these three, these three commands were given. They're actually elements of worship. Rejoice, pray, and give thanks. Worship that's done rightly will incorporate these aspects into the weekly gathering. Did we rejoice today? Did we pray? Did we give thanks? Yeah, we sang a whole song about it, right? Thanks be to God. That's like one of my favorite songs. Thank you all for playing that, by the way. 
works in perfectly with my message. <laughs> but think of the Psalms. What elements come clearly over and over again in the Psalms? Rejoicing, right? Praying, giving thanks. And here's the thing. The Psalms, how many are there, by the way? 150. Good job, 20 points. 150 Psalms. The Psalms, you should see them because they are the worship book of the Old Testament. The worship book of the Old Testament. So when the Israelites worshipped, guess what they worshipped to? The Psalms. That's how they worshipped. They would sing the Psalms. And so the Psalms, as the worship book of the Israelites, uh, when we ask the question, hey, how should I worship the Lord? How should I come before his throne? How should I approach him? I mean, we can turn to the Psalms, and we can see quite clearly how we should do that. Let's look first at prayer. Look at Psalm chapter 17. And this psalm actually starts out, the title is, which is actually verse 1 in the Hebrew, a prayer of David. Hear a just cause, O Lord, attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. Over and over we'll see this. The psalmist coming before the Lord and, and offering a prayer. If you're not sure how to pray sometimes, open up the psalms and turn them into prayers. Look at Psalm 39. He starts out in verse 1. I said I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail, and my distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me as I mused. The fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. And he goes on for this entire section, and then he gets down to verse 12. And how does he start to conclude the psalm? Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears, for I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. Okay, hear my prayer. So he's presenting his requests to the Lord, and he's asking the Lord to hear his prayer. Look at Psalm 55. This time David starts the psalm. Verse 1, Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. So, I mean, he's pleading before the Lord for God to answer him, for God to hear him. And sometimes, I'm guilty of it myself, I mean, we, we kind of approach prayer kind of apathetically, kind of half-heartedly. That's not the picture we get with the Psalms, is it? I mean, listen to it again. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I mean, this is David who is passionate for God and wants to hear from him. And he is seeking God rather directly. 
So that's the first element of worship. The second is thanksgiving. Look at Psalm 50. Verse 23, the very last verse. Psalm 50. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. So here, Asaph is, is, is explaining to us that the thanksgiving, it's like a sacrifice. And think about that. That doesn't make as much sense to us today. We think of sacrifice, we think of, of giving things up. Well, guess what? The Israelites gave things up too, but it actually cost them something financially. Usually a bird or uh, an animal. Sometimes wheat or flour. But it costs them. And here he's saying the thanksgiving is like the sacrifice. You're offering it what? Just like the animal, I mean, the smoke's going up and you're burning it. Well, the thanksgiving, what are you doing? I mean, you're offering that up to the Lord. You're thanking Him for who He is. Look at Psalm 95. Psalm 95, verse 1. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. All right, some of you do a good job of making a joyful noise, all right? <clears throat> Let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to Him with songs of praise. So how are we supposed to come into His presence? I mean, we find out right here. We're being instructed. Let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. How do we come sometimes? All moping and everything. Right? I mean, have you ever come into to worship with, with the wrong attitude, with the bad attitude? Okay, well, I must be the only one then. All right, that's cool. <laughs> but what happens <clears throat> if we come in and we let the presence of the Lord touch our heart and deal with us? Like our disposition is changed. So let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. One more psalm, Psalm 107. Let's start in verse 20. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. I mean, there's that idea again. Offering up sacrifices of what? Thanksgiving. And what are we doing? We're thanking the Lord for what? His, in, in this case, his steadfast love. That's, that's my favorite Hebrew word. You all know that, hesed. We're thanking him for his attributes. We're thanking him for who he is. We're thanking him for what he has done. So that's the second element of worship, is thanksgiving. The third is rejoicing. Look at Psalm 5. While you're turning there, you know, when I first got saved, I just couldn't understand what the big deal was about the Psalms. I'll just tell you that. It was in my immaturity. 
that I thought that. And it took me many, many years of growing to realize the richness that is in every single chapter of the Psalms. It took a while. But the Lord brought me to that place. And, I, and people would talk about the Psalms and the Psalms, and I was just like, man, I'm not, not so down with the Psalms. I mean, they're all right, but 150, like, come on. Especially if you've got like, a little Bible reading program, and you've got to go through all of them at once. But we see how to rightly approach God in the Psalms. We see how to rightly worship Him in the Psalms. And we see... Each of the psalmists is like they open up their heart as they approach the Lord. And it shows us how to approach the Lord. And that's something that we need. So rejoice. Psalm 5, it says this, But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy. And spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exalt in you. So we get this idea of rejoicing, of exalting. Why? Because we've taken refuge in God. He is our protector. He is the one that will look over us. He provides protection. Look at Psalm 13. Verse 5. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Again, we hear David extolling how good God is, how gracious he is, how amazing he is. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. One more verse, Psalm 64. Verse 10, let the righteous one rejoice in the Lord and take refuge in him. Let all the upright in heart exalt. So you'll see these two words kind of used uh, interchangeably in the Psalms. You'll hear the rejoice, and then sometimes you'll get the exalt right behind it. It's like using um, a different word to describe the same thing. It's called Hebrew parallelism is what we're getting, okay? So we're rejoicing, and and what is part of rejoicing, or what is another word for rejoicing? It's exalting God for who he is. Worship done rightly, like I said, will incorporate these aspects into the weekly gathering. But, But this means you all. This means you all. You need to have these things. It, it doesn't matter if, like, Laura's up here, like, all, you know, playing the piano and everything, and Justice is over here, and Jasmine over there. It, it's corporate worship, right? Not worship team worship. Corporate, corporate worship. So they are being used by God as really like facilitators for us to rightly worship the Lord. The entire service that we set up is designed to worship the one true God. And here's the thing. This is our display to God. It's, it's seen by others, and it should be seen by others, but it's our display to God and a display to others of our faith in God. We're not doing it for others. We're not putting on a show. 
but it's the display of faith for those who seek the Lord. James actually asked the question like, um, show me your faith, right? Meaning you, you, you can't actually like pull out of your back pocket faith, right? But it will be seen in your life if you have faith in various ways. The fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. It'll be seen there. It's going to be seen by enacting these rules that were given by Paul. That in the worship service, that we are rejoicing. That we are being thankful. That we are praying. That doesn't mean every single person has to pray out loud. But I hope you're entering in with an attitude of prayer. I mean, it's interesting because, uh, go back to 1 Thessalonians. Paul mentions in verse 17, pray without ceasing. And here's the thing. Uh, Look back. So he says that in verse 17, but look at chapter 2, verse 13. He says, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So he says here he is constantly thanking God. It's the same word. So, hey, hey guys, like, basically follow my example. I've been thanking God for you. I've been praying without ceasing. And guess what? Now I want you to pray without ceasing. Here, what's the context that he says? We also thank God constantly. And what's the context in 1 Thessalonians 5? It's surrounded by thanksgiving and rejoicing. Think about that. Paul commands, but he always examples it before he commands it. We got to be the same way as believers, friends. We we got to walk it before we talk it. I mean, our actions are very, very loud to everyone around us. You want to teach your child about worship? Every week, you give them a lesson on worship right here. Every week. You do it out there, too. But every week, you're showing them how to worship God as we come together to worship the Lord. So when we do these things, we're doing it as a statement of faith. Think about that. When, when, we're, when we're thanking Him, when we're rejoicing, we're saying, I believe that you are the one true God worthy of this. It's a creedal statement displayed to others. I believe that you are faithful and true. So I give thanks for who you are. I believe you're the one true God, so therefore I rejoice in you. I believe that you love your children and want to hear from us. Therefore, I pray to you and seek your faith. This is what I believe about you, Father, and I'm going to show it to you. Others might see it, but I'm showing it to you because that's what I believe. So if we're believers then we'll be characterized by these things. These elements should be seen on Sundays in this church. But here's the thing. It's not just about Sundays. Sundays set the tone for the rest of the week. And what you do here needs to be carried out there. Don't be a saint on Monday, or Sunday, excuse me. Don't be a saint on Sunday and a devil on Monday. Now, back in 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul does make an interesting note at the very beginning of this section 
talking about not repaying anyone evil for evil. Why? I mean, it's kind of interesting just to stick this in there. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. So why, why, why this idea of, of guarding against revenge? Because it is the counter-opposite of what church life is about. It is the counter-opposite of worshiping God. Revenge is about me and what I think should happen. Now, a lot of times people think, oh, eye for eye, that was like Old Testament, tooth for tooth, oh, Old Testament. No, that was biblical justice at the civil level. The reason we have those commands in the Old Testament was that the law was set up to ensure the punishment fit the crime. That a small crime did not receive like a huge punishment. So that's the idea there. What people twisted in Jesus' time and even today was like, oh, well, you did this to me, so I get to do it to you. An eye for an eye. It's not talking about individuals there. It is talking about the civil regulation of God's economy. So an eye for eye. The punishment needs to fit the crime. You steal a loaf of bread, guess what? Your hand shouldn't be cut off. Okay, That's what the Quran says. And that's, that's not what God says. So the punishment fits the crime, eye for eye. But why, why, why not us? Why can't we take matters into our own hands? Because it wouldn't be pretty if we took matters into our own hands. Because it would corrupt us more so than anything we did to other people. Remember earlier, he said just one chapter, 1 Thessalonians 4, in verse 6. It's talking about transgressions against other brothers. And what does he say? The Lord is an avenger in all these things. The Lord is an avenger. You're not the avenger. The Lord is the avenger. So we have to let it go. We have to let it go. Why let it go? You want to know why, why to let it go? Because God won't let it go. He won't let it go. He will deal with it, but he will deal with it in a righteous, in a holy, in a pure way. But we can't do that. So he'll deal with it in one of two ways. Either on the cross, which leads to forgiveness, and some people, some of you have been, been uh, sinned against uh, grievously by other believers. But we should actually praise God that their sins are forgiven and covered. Because your sins are forgiven and covered, and you've done some pretty egregious things. Probably to other people, but without a doubt, towards God himself. It's like the parable that Jesus told in Matthew. You know, the guy owes this, this great amount of debt. I mean, he literally can't pay it back. And so the master forgives. He's going to have him sold off and to try to pay off the debt, but the master forgives him. And then, and then he goes out after he's forgiven and he grabs some guy that just owes him like, you know, a few weeks' wages and drags him off to prison. And, and Jesus, I mean, he sums it up. The guy didn't, the guy was trying to understand forgiveness. The, the, the person had been forgiven so much, and yet they couldn't forgive 
so little. And friends, part of the, the step to forgiveness, if you've been sinned against, especially egregiously, is, is helping to understand how much you've been forgiven by God. Because you, your sin against God cost the Son of God his own life. That's a pretty egregious sin. Your, your sin against God requires a punishment in hell. That's a pretty egregious sin. And yet, God provides a way for you to be forgiven of that. He offers forgiveness in Christ. So, we let it go because God won't let it go. He'll deal with it on the cross, or he'll deal with it by punishing the unrepentant in hell. But here's the thing. You know, sometimes my kids come to me, sometimes there's big problems, sometimes there's small problems, sometimes it's like, oh, there's a stain on the carpet. You know, they spilled something. And, you know, a lot of times, now, now that they're older, I usually make them deal with it. But especially when they're younger, like, what's my response? Like, oh, I'll deal with it, right? And especially if they, uh, I mean, just different scenarios, like the doorbell rings and it's a salesman. I mean, do you really want your eight-year-old dealing with the salesman, making decisions regarding purchases for your house? No. So what do you say? I'll deal with it, right? Why? Because the, the, the parent knows much better. Well, that's kind of the situation with us. That's the situation with us and the Lord. He's stepping in and he's like, I'll deal with it. Why? Because he knows so much better how to handle it and how to deal with it. Romans 12, verse 19 says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And 1 Peter 3 Verse 9 says something similar. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you are called that you may obtain a blessing. And really, this is just, I mean, in, in, in a nutshell form, I mean, this is what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Love your enemies. I mean, that's what it is. Love your enemies. Peter says, bless. Romans says, let the Lord repay. Like, we're trusting him to deal with it. Peter's commanding us to actually bless those who revile us and do evil. And Jesus is, is giving us that overarching command of love. Now, not just love the people that are easy to love, right? Love, he says, your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And Paul puts it in the context because the Thessalonians, they're being persecuted. They're facing persecution. And what is he saying? Look what he says at the end. Always seek to do good to one another. So that's in the context of the church. But then he says, and to everyone. So we got believers and we got non-believers. It goes and applies to everyone. So you need to ask yourself, is this a good thing to do to this person? You're contemplating an action, you're unsure. Is this a good thing to do to them? If not, then you don't do it. All right, so in summary, why are these three elements of worship so important? Why is rejoicing and praying and giving thanks 
Why, why are they so important for us? Because they direct us heavenward. Now, every time we get together every week for our 90 minutes or so, are we doing that for ourselves or are we doing that for the Lord? You probably are thinking, well, he probably is going to say the Lord, which I am, but I would say we're doing it for both. So, yes, we are doing it for the Lord, and he is the primary focus of everything that we do for these 90 minutes. He should be the focus the other 24-7 as well. But it's also for us. Like, it's kind of like a reset that each one of us needs every single week, probably every single day, but at least every single week for us to, be, to come and to be, to be reminded of who God is. To be commanded from the Scriptures of how we're supposed to walk before Him. To be instructed of how we're supposed to have a right relationship with Him. And then to praise Him in the public assembly. I don't know about you, uh, but sometimes when my eyes are open during worship, I, I'm greatly encouraged when I see other people entering into God's presence and truly worshiping Him. I mean, it speaks to me. It encourages me. And I see people with their hands up or they're on their knees or they're sitting down and I can tell that they're having a serious conversation with the Lord. They're praying. They're seeking Him. That encourages me to do the same. I'm encouraged to keep going because I see that you keep going. And hopefully, at times, you need the encouragement and you're seeing me and you're seeing others and you keep going. But we need this weekly time as a reset for ourselves. I think God designed it that way. It's a reminder. Hey, pause, y'all. Take a little Sabbath. Take some rest. Be refreshed, as Acts talks about, be refreshed in my presence. And friends, we miss out on that when we're missing out on church. I believe that the Lord gives like a special refreshment on the Sundays, in the morning, when we're gathered as believers. There's a refreshment. I believe he does that when believers gather, even for, you could say, life groups, and even for Reformation Wednesday. But especially on a day that he's set aside for us to come together and worship him. Sometimes I walk in here, all sorts of different dispositions and mindsets and moods. But I walk out encouraged. I walk out with the right mindset. I walk out knowing that God is still with me, he's still on the throne, and he's going to keep walking with us for this coming week. That whatever is going to come our way, God is sufficient to handle it. That's why we rejoice. That's why we praise. That's why we give thanks together, corporately, in his presence. Let's pray. Lord, it's a privilege to worship you. It's a privilege to gather with the saints. Lord, remind us of that, that it's a privilege to gather with the saints, to hear your word preached, to extol your name, to praise you in the gates, to seek your face. And help our our disposition to be that one of praise and thanksgiving and prayerfulness. Lord, bless these last few songs. I pray for anyone that, that needs a true refreshment right now that you'd minister to them. 
that you'd refresh their hearts, Father. The times of restoration would come from you right now to them. As a sign of your love, as a sign of your goodness, as a sign of your steadfast love. Father, we lift up your name. We extol it. We praise it. You are the highest of the high. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 